Welcome to another week here on Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. On the bottom left of your device screen, you will see a microphone icon. You can use that to request speaking rights. We have some points of discussion to cover this week, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible throughout the show. As a reminder, this show is recorded and will be redistributed via the Cap and Trade podcast. Thank you again if you're a returning listener, and if you're new, welcome. With that, let's go. All right, another week here on Cap and Trade. This week with a good friend of mine, Cody Stutes of ESPN Radio 97.5, joining us tonight. Uh, returning back from a hiatus I had to take off last week because I just wasn't feeling 100%, and you know I'd rather just be able to give you all you know, a, a normal sounding voice, but some, you know, good content and stuff instead of me sounding like crap and feeling like crap. And so we're back in it, ready to go. Cody, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing fantastically. As we discovered moments ago is actually a word that people use. Outstanding. That is worked that in perfectly. So I uh, got some uh, different things to talk about tonight. We'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about Casario because that's been on the timeline today. I'm still trying to figure that whole thing out. We'll talk about the uh, the Jaguars game. Some words that uh, Coley had this week on uh, his decision making, and uh, a couple other points. But uh, folks, you know, we'll we'll get going on our on our talking points first. But you know, just so everybody knows, if you want to ask a question, just you know, hit that request button on the bottom left, and we'll try to get to you. If for some reason you would rather not talk and you want to send me a question, you know, you can post it on Twitter or you can send me a DM. My DMs are open. I know a lot of folks will do that during the show. It's a little bit easier for them versus having to speak. So, you know, there's different ways to get your get your questions in. So we're uh, we're ready to go. So talk about we'll just start off with the game. Finally get a win. You know, it's regardless of the whole draft spot and draft, you know, where the team ends up with the draft, it's it's just nice to kind of come off of a win, in my opinion. It feels good. It creates a little positivity around the team, or you know, talking about them in a positive manner for once. And just kind of wanted to get your overall thoughts on the game, Cody. If there was a, I mean, I know you said not about the draft slot, but I'm not going to crush them for winning a football game. Like the 46 guys that are active on game day, they don't give a flip who the draft pick's going to be. They don't care. They don't care how the free agency money is going to get spent unless it's going in their pocket. Those 46 guys that show up, put their pads on, put their helmets on, have their name on the back, have a number on the front and the back, they worry about winning. And so that has to be awesome for everybody who actually plays in the games, every coach, every training person, like everybody in that building. It has to be cool to get a victory. It really does. And then there's like a couple of different layers to the victory. Like it's got to be really cool to get a victory when everyone thinks that like, oh, okay, the Jaguars fired their coach. They're a huge disaster. We're just going to ignore how big of a disaster they are and think that um, they're going to kick your butts. Like Vegas had this five points as the closing line. Like that had to feel great for the people in the building and for the Texans. And there are Texans fans that don't care about the draft slot. They want to see the team win when they play a game. And that's awesome. They got a victory. There's some big positives to come out of this. There's some like bright spots to come out of this. So ultimately, that's going to be a positive. And if this team's going to go this direction with this crew, that's a big positive for the people that are deciding the direction of the Houston Texans. Like a victory is a big positive for them. And you have to hope that they can build off of that and get the Texans back in the long term where we all want them to be. 
Yeah, that the the game line really, you know, the money line really kind of shocked me, especially after. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it went up a point and a half after Urban Meyer was fired. I guess Vegas was betting on betting on the Jaguars team, you know, getting revitalized coming off of coming off the head coach change, and obviously that wasn't the case. It was the same team that we that we've watched all year long when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So. You know, that part was a little – I was honestly expecting the same thing. I was honestly expecting the Jaguars to kind of come out hot and heavy and, you know, time, you know, moving on from the Urban Meyer situation, let's go. You know, I posted on the timeline. I kind of did a little quick, real quick research on the game after a head coach change. I think it went back to like 2015 or, no, 20, 2013, 2014, something like that. And – Teams were six and seven the game after a head coach change. So that part actually kind of surprised me. I was expecting that number to be a little bit higher on the uh, on the win side. So you know, it's to me getting the win. It's it still shows that there are players buying into what the team is selling. The coaching staff is still reaching them with the motivation, and it's you know shoot they had half you know half the defense the starting defense was out with COVID. So. You know, those guys stepped up, the, the depth guys stepped up, and it was just a welcome change. You know, I, you know, it's tough, you know, going week in and week out talking, and you know, because you do this for a living, that talking when they just continually lose and lose and lose. And so it, it, it is a welcome change to come out and have them on, you know, getting the win, regardless of what type of performance we saw on the field. And, and with, speaking of performance, you know, I'll kind of just jump right into to Davis Mills. You know, it, for me – you know, it was. It seems like he's the game is starting to slow down a little bit for him. You know, you see his footwork; he's getting through his progressions a little bit quicker. He's his footwork is moving with his head as he's you know moving through his progressions. He's taking the checkdowns a little sooner. His I think his time to throw average time was the lowest it's been all season. It was like two point five two seconds, which is you know really good, especially when you compare it to the other rookies out there. Who are averaging two point seven and higher, so not named Mac Jones. He he doesn't count, but you know it. It was just good to see that continued growth with him. I know there's a lot of craziness on the timeline with the comparisons between him and Trevor Lawrence this year, and I, I you know, I don't want to get into that. There's, I really don't buy into that whole thing. But at the end of the day, we saw a little bit of growth. We saw the continued growth out of Mills. And he's starting to put together a little bit of positivity and some decent tape. And I'm not saying he's cementing himself as a starter going forward, but he's starting to make, make the decision a little more interesting going into 2022. Davis Mills is so far removed from the worst training camp practice that I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I was there like, with really, you. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, we're, we're, you, yeah, you were there. Like, we're sitting there watching, like, the guys going under 50% against air. Like, like not one-on-one drills. Against air, the dude's missing. He's so far removed from that guy. And really, Cap, and I don't know how you feel about this, I feel like he is a totally different guy from, like, Carolina, Buffalo. Maybe totally different's the wrong way to say it. Maybe that's too much. He's definitely better than the Carolina game, the Buffalo game, and those games when he was forced into starting. And it goes back to an old adage that, you know, I think Bill O'Brien hammered this home a couple times with Ryan Mallett, I think, is the guy. Um, 
is it's okay to sit and watch sometimes and learn how things are done and learn how things aren't done. And I feel like when Davis got shown the bench for Tyrod coming back off the injury, that very much felt like, hey, watch how things are done. And ultimately it turned into watch how things actually aren't done, Davis. Like watch how we don't want you to operate. (laughs) And he got back in there and, you know, Brandon Cooks has been hammering this for a couple weeks now. He He just takes what's there. Like, he makes the throw, he sees it. First of all, he sees it, then he makes the throw. He's not trying to force things. The interception at the end notwithstanding. Um, I really like what I've seen from Davis Mills, certainly the past couple of weeks. And you're going to get some empty yards there at the end of games when other teams are better than the Texans overall. But from, like, when the game is close, when the game matters, like, he's a better quarterback than the guy that was playing in Carolina and against Buffalo and those games earlier on in the season. And – it goes back to the conversation with Davis Mills to really find out about him, to really understand him and really know what he is. He needs reps. He needs reps. He's going to get close to the amount of attempts in this NFL season that he got in his entire college career. Like, think about that. Like he may, he may get close in one NFL season to what his entire college career attempts is like the potential for this guy to get better is is in front of him with these opportunities. Now we get to see them try to draw out whatever potential is in there and see what kind of improvement they can get out of him. Yeah, I think, and you brought up a good point about him playing and then sitting back down. And we kind of talked about that at the time on, on, on this show that maybe when he sits back down, can absorb the, that two or three, three week stretch of him playing and maybe all that, you know, and sitting back down and, and reevaluating things and maybe the game will start to slow down for him. And I think maybe that ended up being a good thing for him to to go back, you know, because obviously going in that early in the season was not the plan. So, you know, they had to just get through that section and him sitting back down and reevaluating and, and getting back going in the right direction was a probably a good thing for him, at, you know, when, it, when the, you know, it's probably just a good thing when it all comes down to it. So, you know, good for him. You know, another good positive game. Nothing earth-shattering, you know, but he's trending in the right direction. You know, and you can kind of say that for a lot of the rookie class at this point. You know, finally we got to see a, a rookie class that's getting snaps compared to the previous regime. Now we're seeing Garrett Wallow. Regardless of its result of COVID, it was just good to see Garrett Wallow out there getting snaps. You know, Lopez is continuing to get snaps. Collins you know, obviously Davis Mills and Jordan Brevin was out with a hand injury this time, but his snaps has shot up dramatically in the last four weeks with Aikens, you know, being inactive until this last game. So I just think it's, it's a great, it's a great thing to see the, the, the rookies out there getting place, getting snaps, getting the evaluation and really give us an, an idea of, is this class going to be a good draft class or not? And you, you obviously can't make that evaluation this early in this, in the go of it, but seeing them have meaningful snaps, but the performance is also there. I mean, you, you see shining light from obviously Lopez is probably the biggest outside of Davis mills. I think Lopez is probably the biggest uh, draft find so far, but you see the flashes from Nico Collins. You see the flashes from Brevin Jordan and, you know, it just kind of gives the fans a little more excitement about this draft class in the future going forward. Well, I think you look at this and you say, all right, Nick Casario found these guys in the draft and he didn't even have 
a first or a second round pick, and then you think about 2022 and you may have multiple firsts and multiple seconds, like, okay, let's take a hack. You talk about Garrett Wallow, and I understand that he played because of COVID situation, but he's been a special teams guy here or there. That's a fifth round pick. And last year's fifth round picks aren't even on the team anymore, and Isaiah Coulter. So it's like, okay, like, that's a big improvement. Roy Lopez turning into a rotational player as a sixth round pick. Like this team has had success in those late rounds on the defensive line before. That's pretty cool to see. Like we have to think about this too. Like if they add a tremendous amount of draft capital over the next couple of seasons, like you get additional firsts, you get additional seconds, thirds, whatever it may be. You have to have guys who have been around in the NFL and you have to have someone grow old with this team. Like someone has to hang around and grow old with this team. Ideally, it's those five guys that they drafted in the 2021 draft. Like ideally, you'd love to grow old as a staff, as Nick Casario, as a general manager, as, as this version of the Texans with these guys playing some sort of role. I don't believe any of them are going to be sort of what I call tentpole players, like players that you build around. Like none of these guys will turn out to be guys that you build around more than likely. But if Nico Collins is on your team for four years and you have the conversation about bringing him back, like that's a huge positive. Same thing with Brevin Jordan. Same thing with Garrett Wallow and Roy Lopez. And if Davis Mills turns into a starter for someone next year and maybe a backup after that, if it doesn't work out, like those are all positives that you can point to. And it's like, wow, you got a lot out of not that much draft capital what can the general manager do when he has more draft capital? Yeah, that part's definitely exciting. You know, we see how much he moved around in the draft this year. So by extension, you got to think that's going to be a, a continued thing for him. And if he's got, you know, already the one and the two, and if he has multiple ones, multiple twos, he's just going to probably be moving all over the board. And that's, that's going to make for a very fun draft night. But, uh, you know, that, that part's exciting. You know, the other thing about the game, the only thing the only thing that was frustrating for me was seeing Titus Howard move back to left guard. And I understand it's for one game and the team Coley think that that was the best five offensive line group, but you can't convince me that Howard at left guard and Christian at left tackle is better than Howard at left tackle and Cole Toner or somebody at left guard. That they need the Howard needs the reps at left tackle the team needs to see him at left tackle because it's very clear that Tunsil's not coming back this year and I I've been on the train that he's out of here come with a trade come next offseason so the team really needs to evaluate Howard at left tackle not only to determine if you draft another tackle next year and on top of that do you do you activate his fifth year uh, option for 2023 because that becomes fully guaranteed once that's done so there's just a lot of questions around Howard and playing left tackle or right tackle or wherever they're going to have him because obviously he's he's playing better as a tackle in space than he did as an interior offensive lineman so I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that whole scenario I mean why they made the move and and what did they need to see out of him going forward He's got to play left tackle. He he has to play left tackle, and I I was upset. I guess I, I wasn't real upset, but I was I was upset until I really had to think about it and 
pay attention to like, okay, like I understand he's there because they felt like they had to play him there instead of, like you said, Cole Toner, whoever else that might run in there. I'm taking that as a COVID one-off. My belief is he's a tackle going forward and not just a tackle. My belief is he's a left tackle. And this will be an interesting decision for Nick Casario because really he's going to have to take the assessment of these next three games and hopefully Titus Howard plays these next three games at left tackle. He's going to have to take this assessment and determine like you, what you talked about. Do I want to, do I want to potentially give this guy that option year that guarantees he's going to be on our team? Or do I want to not give him that option year and basically have a prove it to me left tackle scenario for a year or like, kind of like what you know, some people have talked about, yeah, Titus Howard's not good enough. We'll play him in a different position and we'll go draft a left tackler or sign a left tackle in free agency. I don't think that that second part's really going to happen, but um, Titus has got to play left tackle. I've, I was banging my head against the wall that he wasn't the left tackle when he was drafted at left tackle. Like that's why you drafted him. Like that's, that's why this organization, I understand the people that made that decision aren't here anymore. That's why this organization drafted Titus Howard. And then they just didn't feel confident for whatever reason. And a guy that they spent a first round pick on to play left tackle. So, okay, well then they had the Matt Khalil situation and then they turned it into Laramie Tunsil situation. And then there was sort of that, that snowball effect of, of crappiness that happened right there. Like, yeah, Titus was good at right tackle. I thought he should have been the right tackle. They felt good about Charlie Heck this year. I thought Titus should have been the right tackle, but obviously with Laramie healthy, you can't play him at left. Laramie's injury happens, sort of a blessing in disguise, and the Texans get to find out Titus can play left tackle. Like, I believe in this guy. I believe he can play left tackle. So I want them to put him at left tackle, and I want him to turn into a good left tackle for this team. That's what I want to have happen. And then, like you said, move on from the mercenary that is Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> the mercenary i yeah i mean that's that's <clears throat> excuse me that's exactly right about, about him and i mean yes he he likes playing football but he's got his interest outside of football we we've talked about it on here he he has interest in fashion and other ventures outside of football i'm not not trying to say that he doesn't care about the about the game but you know he just needs he just doesn't need to be here. I don't think for him, it's obvious he doesn't want to play this year and probably doesn't want to be a part of this organization at this point in time. Maybe his feelings change in the off season, but you know, hopefully the team can flip him. They're obviously not going to get near the trade value that they gave up for him, but you know, hopefully you can get maybe a, a an early second, maybe a, a, a late first, or it might even be a future late first. If it was that, if that route, but you know, an early second for him and, and get that contract off your books and, and just move on and, and start out with Howard and, and like you said, heck and, and whatever else they can come up, you know, that, that way you end up driving another tackle on day two or day three and, and kind of go from there. So with that same, you know, I think that about covers it for the game. You know, we'll, we'll kind of roll over to, uh, to Coley here. So his comments this week were, you know, kind of really interesting it was very candid and I appreciate the honesty, but it was rare to see a coach kind of flat out admit that he needs help and, and he's having difficulty managing the, the critical decision-making that needs to happen in a five to 10 second period and have the ability to, to think and, and forecast a down ahead of time. And he's seeking that, that input from, from upstairs 
seeking input from Casario and, and Cornell. So kind of want to get your thoughts on those comments made by Coley and does that candidness give you more concern or does it give you, I don't know if it says more confidence, but does it give you a little more assurance about him anyway, or does it cause more concern or does it change anything for you when it comes to Coley? I like when people admit that they're not doing a good job or haven't been able to do a good job. I like when in your job you can ask for help and people can give you that type of help. What I don't like is if I find it tough to believe David Cully that he just, you know, zoned out and didn't hear anybody in that moment. Cause I can vividly remember the Monday after the Patriots game, I sat there and I counted up how many years Nick Casario, Lovey Smith and Romeo Cornell had been in the NFL together and, or had been all been in the NFL combined. And I was like, how do those people, not help David Cully in that moment and hearing Cully say, yeah, I, I heard him and I didn't, uh, I didn't do it. Like that's a tough story to believe. Like how does David Cully a few games into the season, not hear them and not execute that, not relay that message to his team. Like, I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand how that would, would work. So it's, I don't, but I have nothing to go off of than, than David Cully's word on this situation. Well, if that's the case, then, okay, good. Nick Casario was making the right decision. I was worried that Nick Casario didn't know that they should let the Patriots score in that moment. Like I was worried that Romeo Cornell didn't know or Lovey Smith didn't know. And so with that, like I, that was a big positive for that particular thing. But I will say, look, David Cully's gotten better at explaining some of his decision-making within games. And David Cully's gotten better in, um, you know, a little bit of the game management situation. Like, I don't love how they use timeouts at the end of games when they're trailing, but if you're trailing, who cares? Use them however you feel like you need to use them to try to get back in the game. It hasn't cost them a victory yet. This is really about the assessment of David Culley as a whole. Like, I don't want it to be too little too late and try to move on from him too early, but I also don't want results that happen in, like, five games to outweigh results that happen in 12 games, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, and – I mean, it it just feels like you can't have on the job training for a head coach. I feel like I feel like he's almost on you know like he's he's running around with training wheels at this point in time if he's having to seek out that kind of input. And I mean that maybe comes from the fact that he hasn't been really in this type of position before, you know, as a as a play caller or or anything like that. So maybe that's where that's coming in from on him, but. You know, it just it it causes me concern. I don't know that at and I'm not trying to say he I mean his age is gonna be a factor, but it, it just causes me concern is can he grow, can he obtain those type of skills at this point in his career as a head coach? And if so, what's the time frame for that to happen? Mm -hmm. Is the team are fans willing to wait for that to happen or do they just need to realize that he's maybe not going to get those skills and they need to cut bait and move on. So in, go ahead. You know, my, my question is, what does he do? Like, like, like legitimately, and I'm not asking this to be mean. I'm not asking this to be crass, but like, what does David Cully actually do? He doesn't call the offense. He doesn't call the defense. He doesn't call special teams. And this week he admits that basically I don't want to say Nick Casario or Romeo Cornell make the decision for him. That's not what they do. But they have heavy input in directing him which way 
and clearly the way he thought earlier in the season and didn't execute was the incorrect way. So what exactly does he do? He just motivates the team to get ready to play. If you're not an expert game manager, when you don't call the offense, you don't call the defense, like all you are is an expert motivator. And yeah, this team's look pretty motivated at different times, but they can't stay motivated because they can't get anything done in the second half of games. They don't make some sort of massive in-game adjustments. So it's not like he's going over there and helping Tim Kelly on offense, even though he's been in the NFL for what, twice as long as Tim Kelly's been in the National Football League? So like, what exactly does David Cully do? And maybe this is by design. Maybe they only wanted that guy here to help manage guys keep them focused, keep them disciplined. Like the discipline's gotten better here at the back end of the season. Like it has. The penalties are starting to trickle down a little bit. You still get random weird penalties. Pharaoh Brown seems to have like two a week. Um, Malik Collins, just, like, random- man. It's, I think there's a something out there against Malik Collins, man. Like, getting hold, defensive holding 20 yards away from the play. <laughs> <laughs> did he did he punch a referee one time or something, man? They must have it out for. A I don't know, man. He's he's just. I mean, some of his penalties are valid, but some of them are just just bad luck but, or bad calls or whatever. But but that's my concern with Cully yeah. is like what what exactly does he do? What does he bring to the table? Because uh, look at look, if you're an amazing coach Monday through Saturday and guys take big jumps under your tutelage, and then on Sunday. You do a lot less work because you're really good Monday through Saturday. Like I'll live with it. I'll understand it. Like I think I think Harbaugh in Baltimore to an extent is kind of that way. I think I think that John Harbaugh is an amazing coach on Monday through Saturday. And then he hands over his offense and his defense to two coordinators who are fantastic. And then he's an expert game manager and that's what he does. And he's an expert motivator, and he listens to his guys. Like, is David Cully ever getting to that level? I, I don't see it. Not like if this was a young guy that everybody did stuff for him, I could see him growing into that. But I don't see sixty-plus-year-old David Cully growing into that. So, is he here for twenty twenty-two? In your opinion, I, I believe he is here for twenty twenty-two. I'm not sure what changes are going to happen, but they can't keep they can't keep the offensive room the same. Lovey Smith's coached his ass off this year. I, I thought Lovey's had a done a really good job with a a lack of talent over on the defensive side and he's going to get some turnover on the defense, so that'll be difficult early on in the season for him next year, but Lovey, I, I I expected him to come in and be a dinosaur and just look lost in the current NFL landscape, and that's not the case. And if you give him a little bit more talent, I would be excited to see what Lovey could put together with the defense, they've got to change something on offense. I don't know if that's Pep Hamilton taking over Tim Kelly's role. I don't know if that's a totally new offensive coordinator. I'd I'd almost, I was thinking about this today, I'd be fine with an offensive version of Lovey Smith and like an old guy who calls like a pretty decent game from an offensive standpoint. But I'd also be willing for Nick Casario to just go find like the next whiz kid and give some kid a chance, like give some guy who's actually two or three years away from the opportunity, um, just like accelerate their timeline and give them a chance. Like I'd be willing for something like that to be running the offense. Even if that guy succeeds, he's only here for a couple of years, but I'd be willing for Casario to do something like that on offense. Oh, so you're saying like maybe like a North Turner type of play caller, that kind of, veteran veteran type coordinator yeah so so i I think you got to go either 
like, I think you have to go either really old and familiar and basic, or I think you have to go really young, new age and cutting, like cutting edge. Like I don't want any of the in-between stuff. Um, like I don't, I don't want someone who's getting like their second chance at offensive coordinator. I want a guy getting his first chance or I want a guy getting his last chance. That's really what I want from the offensive coordinator spot. Is there any type of scheme that you'd want to see in here, like a West Coast Kubiak Shanahan type scheme? Or I, not, I, you know, I, I think Mills would probably ex- would do well under that type of system. I just don't know that we have the offensive line personnel to pull that off. This team just doesn't look good when they're in the zone scheme, zone running scheme, split zone. It just doesn't look good. So, I, I mean, I'd, t- yeah. Go it's, ahead. it's tough. It's tough for me to guess on what kind of offensive scheme they would want to run because I'm not, I'm not totally sure who the quarterback is long term. And if if the guy came in and and was good, but the quarterback situation wasn't good, like you may not get to see if the guy's any good. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, so it's it's tough to pick a scheme. Like I like here's here's the thing: find someone that can coach him up in running the football. Like I don't like I, you can't you can't convince me that that they have the absolute without question worst rushing attack from an overall what's put together standpoint like something has got to change in the play calling that could get them running the football a little bit better and so that's what i would hope from a new offensive coordinator um is somebody that could get them to just a little bit like i think they're the 32nd with a bullet um and i don't care if the stats say they're not they're the worst rushing attack in football um if they could just be like the 21st rushing attack, like I'd be like over the moon. Yeah. I mean, that's what we wanted out of the defense this year was just to kind of be a middle of the pack. And that's what they've done. And like you said, Lovey Smith's done a great job. I, you know, you said you think Coley's here for 2022. I think he's not here for 2022. So, you know, I think there's going to be a change with Coley at head coach. I think Tim Kelly will be gone. You know, he'll join, you know, maybe he'll go over to Alabama and join up O'Brien or wherever he ends up at. But, you know, and I'd still kind of – I think James Campen will get a, a – I think he'll stay. I think they'll keep him here and continue on with that. But, you know, I really, really do think that they're just going to go ahead and make the change at head coach. And, you know, I haven't really dug into any names out there, but it just – I got an unsolicited DM from somebody that – I know that's pretty well in the loop at a, at, at the league level, not just with the Texans, but with the league level. And, and the the DM was was wrapped around uh, Doug Pedersen, and it's very clear that Pedersen is going to be back in the swing of things for a head coach job come twenty twenty two. And I don't know if Houston would have any interest in him. I would have, no as a fan, I would have interest in him, but I don't know that yeah you say no chance so you know i'd be be, look i'd be over the moon if doug peterson walks through that door and coaches this team i'd be over the freaking moon and no chance he's walking into this situation no chance he's going landry well here's (laughs) why though doug peterson is not the coach in philadelphia because the general manager had too much control and was involved in too many things like that's why doug peterson's not in philadelphia doug peterson's not not the eagles head coach because he was a bad coach Doug Peterson's a phenomenal coach. Like he's out in Philadelphia because the GM has hands and too much stuff. Yeah, they wanted get, they wanted Hertz in there, and I'm not sure that Pedersen did. 
Yeah, and so I, I look. I, I think we'll see Doug Peterson twice a twice a year because I think he'll be the Jacksonville coach. Ooh, I, I, I think he'll be. I, mean, I think he'll be the coach in in Jacksonville. Um, that's I'd be I'd be knocking down Shad Khan's door right now if I was Peterson trying to get that job. Um, and then I think if if he doesn't get the job in Jacksonville, I think he's probably at the top of a lot of people's list. Yeah, there'll probably uh, be another three or four openings the, out there when it's all said and done. The big benefit when you think about this, um, and maybe, maybe I connected this dot too much in the last coaching cycle, but I don't think that it's, um, I don't think it's a bad dot to connect. The same agent that represents Nick Casario and Jack Easterby represents Doug Peterson. Oh, I did not. I was not aware of that. Well, that's that's always yeah. Good. The, the, yeah, the the same agency represents all three of those guys, so I don't think it's totally out of the question that he'd be in the conversation. Yeah, I th- I, that you know, I'd be excited for that. I feel like if it's not if Cully is out, then uh, you know, I think that the one of the names that's going to be thrown around is going to be Gerard Mayo, and you know, at that point, we'll we'll see what happens. It's probably a little too early to be talking about Cully's future. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. So, and Chuck, I know you've been patiently waiting because I know you're an extremely patient guy and just hang tight for a few more minutes. We'll get with you. I got one more thing that I want to get Cody's thoughts on before we dive into your question. So a lot on the timeline today, again, is Casario on the headset. And, you know, that kind of ties in with Cully, you know, Cully's comments earlier this week. You know, we, we know that Coley, I mean, Coley, we know that Casario was on the headset in New England. We saw that, you know, there's a video, it was on the timeline again today, where he's literally calling out coverages to, to McDaniels to assist in the play calling and doing whatever New England needed him to do to help out. And I, I don't know at what level or what type of information Casario is looking at or if he's even feeding anything to Coley or if it's more of a reactive thing if he's waiting on Coley to seek out them that I don't know but I just don't get all the uproar about Casario being on the headset I mean people are viewing it as as this is another control thing I don't view it that way I view this as genuinely and maybe I'm naive but I genuinely think that this is just his way of trying to assist in any way he can for the betterment of the team. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that whole, that whole situation. If you don't like Nick Casario, you think this is a horrible thing. And if you like Nick Casario, it doesn't bother you. Yeah. Uh, that's really the, that's really yeah. the camp that it falls into. If you, if you think Nick Casario has done a bad job and is less than a year as a general manager, you think he's some stooge that Jack Easterby handpicked. And you think that he's another one of these new England guys. that's going to go somewhere else and fail. You think this is probably a bad deal and he shouldn't be on the headset. If you believe in Nick Casario or you still have a benefit of the doubt for him, then this is not that big of a deal. Look, it's don't get me wrong. It's a very big change to be standing in the press box, watch all those coaches leave and watch the general manager of the team leave wearing his visor, having his pin up in his visor and carrying all his papers with all those other coaches. Like that's a big change. Like, I never saw Rick Smith in the press box covering the team. I never saw Brian Gain in the press box covering the team. Not to say that what Nick Casario does is any better than those guys. Like everyone has a different approach. The big thing is it's different and not every one of these GMs could do this. Like not every general manager 
could do what Nick Casario is doing. The counter argument would be, well, couldn't Nick Casario hire someone to do some of the things that he does? Sure. Yeah, he could. I mean, he could hire an analytics expert who's going to help Cully and Tim Kelly and Lovey Smith with, hey, you know, we need this at this time. Use this timeout. Don't use this timeout. But if you believe in Nick Casario as a football person, if you believe he's good at his job and you believe that, you know, he should be trusted, then you have no problem with this. Fair enough. And shout out to Swan who just dropped in here. So hello to you. All right, so we're going to jump over to the question. Chuck's been patiently waiting, so let me extend him some speaking rights. All right, Chuck, what do you got tonight, sir? Okay, uh, good evening, gentlemen. So uh, I'm Team Casario here uh, in the flesh. So uh, go back to what Cody had, uh, just brought up, a very good point. Uh, back in the day when uh, Kubiak was there and we had uh, Rick Smith, don't forget, now I believe that Kubiak hired Rick Smith. And so we had the other way around here. So when uh, Kubiak came aboard, uh, he was an accomplished play caller, uh, offensive guru, uh, Shanahan train, that kind of thing. So when he is on board and you have Rick Smith coming on afterwards, a big difference. I think, uh, in, in my opinion, and like I said, I am not in the, in the know like you gentlemen are. And there's a couple other listeners here that I hold in high esteem as well. Um, but uh, I believe that uh, in, in my mind's eye that I think uh, when uh, Coley was hired, and I, I, I agree with, uh, with Cap, man. I, I just can't, as a season ticket holder, going every week, seeing this, I don't think they could retain this man, especially after this week of being totally honest. But I, I really feel that, um, that when, when Nick uh, and, and, and Cal hired this man, they didn't realize where they were getting into. Maybe, okay, that's one bad hire, uh, a big bad hire. Uh, but I believe that I don't know if Nick was on, or, uh, was on the uh, on the headphones. Uh, game one or game two. Game one was a was obviously a great game, but I think that they started seeing this way ahead of time, and he, Coley is obviously way over his head. So um, I don't think he's going to be back next year. But um, I, as far as uh, a future hire, uh, Peterson's a great a great thought process, and, and Cody, you hit around the head. He, he is a, uh, a great coach with quarterbacks. We don't have anything coming in. My question to you, gentlemen, is, is pretty easy. With, with Coley on the line, we have the draft coming up, and I'm okay with the team uh, putting their efforts in and winning four games, five games, whatever the case is. However, at the end of the day, our draft position is going to fluctuate a little bit. I'm okay with trading down, getting more picks. If that's the case, there's no quarterback here. Uh, for next year get what you can and then maybe maybe coley we can put up with him for the year and then really look future i'm this year's over if we could just maybe just and, and like i said before you gentlemen know more than i do about this but if we could gather more draft picks and then see what's on the available for 2023 i think that'd be more more advantageous that way you can get a peterson maybe try the enemy again i don't understand why BNME doesn't have a job unless he didn't want one. And that's another thing people forget is that, you know, he was interviewed here. He was interviewed by other teams that was not hired. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, and I'll uh, just kind of hang on and see what you say. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you if you keep him around for 2022 and, you know, Cody said that he thinks he's here and, and I can fully see that happening. 
I like I mentioned, I, I don't think he's here for 2022, but we'll say he's here for 2022. At that point, I'm not entirely sure he makes it through the season, and that's okay. You know, I think Lovey would be able to to step in and be an interim head coach, you know, if it were the last six or seven games of the season or something like that. You know, so that very well could be the path going forward. And, you know, it, it I think it just depends on what Casario what his future goals are at the at the head coach position. And if he you know, it sounds like he's got his eyes set on one or two names and if those names are not available or are not ready per se, then I could fully see him just sitting on Cully for twenty twenty two for another year and then taking a peek at twenty twenty three for a change. This this is the fascinating part because if we believe Albert Breer and we believe the conversation point that Casario has a guy that he wants to hire that's maybe not close and he thinks he can wait on him, then it makes sense that Cully's the guy for 2022 and then Casario maybe gets his guy heading into 2023. But guys get chances faster and more often. And when was the last time, you know, a coach really waited around for the job and didn't just really actually take the job. I mean, you see it in college all the time. I feel like every coach in waiting in the history of mankind's left for a different job before they went and got the coach in waiting job they were supposed to get. So I'd be interested to see like the, the, the weird scenario would be Cully survives the Monday after the season where like all these coaches get fired, but then we start hearing whispers that, maybe Casario's guys getting an interview here because the guy that Casario likes is maybe close to taking a job here or there. And then just like a few weeks after the season, Cully gets the ax and then Casario has a new guy. So that, that would be the weird scenario. And it'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, somebody tried to hire your guy. And so you went and got your guy. Also, I don't know that you're drastically improving your lie in the various jobs. If you wait an additional year, like, there's some jobs that are, I would say, pretty close to coming open that probably aren't coming open this offseason that might come open the following offseason that would be much better jobs than the Texans job. Um, just off the top of my head, those teams would be the Bengals and the Cardinals. I don't believe either one of those teams would make a change this offseason, but next offseason – I could certainly see those teams making a change, and I'd much rather coach the Bengals and the Cardinals than the Texans heading into 2023 because the quarterback situation settled. So I don't know that you improve your lie in where you are in the pecking order because you're going to interview the top of the, the class, and you may not get the top of the class because there are going to be better options. I mean, they interviewed Brandon Staley, and when he ended up taking the Chargers job, I looked around and I was like, oh, so there was no chance he was taking the Texans job. He just interviewed to interview. And so – you got to make sure that you're getting a guy that either you like, regardless of where he is in the pecking order of the class, or you got to be comfortable potentially not picking from the top of the heap. Well, Cody, let me ask you this real quick. So um, what about Cal? Uh, like I said before, I, I, I was sitting last uh, uh, Sunday, last home game. Uh, all the season ticket holders that I sit with are gone, all right? So there's a block of us. There's nine to 12 of us that sit together. I haven't seen them the whole season. I went by myself. 
the whole row was in front of me was Seahawk fans, a bunch of ladies. My my question is is okay if you do not make a move and you don't have a top quarterback to bill as your franchise for next year, how can Cal McNair really stare at us in the face and say renew your tickets, trust me, and we're going to have David Coley leading us next year? That is my biggest issue. Yeah, no, it's it's not going to be easy to sell tickets, but it's not going to be easy to sell tickets there even when you got a franchise quarterback. Like you're going to have to put together a constant winner before people even think about buying back in like they used to be bought back in. Like I understand that Cal McNair has with his decision making and the way this organization has been run recently, I understand that he has erased a lot of goodwill that Bob McNair built up. I hope he also understands that. But I would also point to the fact that there's been more than a couple of times where Cal McNair has acted like an owner that most fans would be. Whereas like, like I don't believe Bob would have fired Rick Smith. Like I believe Bob would have basically forced those guys to continue to work together. Like Rick Smith was not having a bad tenure as a general manager. Was it great? No, Bob sure as hell would not have fired Brian Gain. Bob would not have let, Bill O'Brien take over. Now, obviously, that was a bad decision, and we knew it was a bad decision in the moment, but then Cal wrote the check and made the guy go away. Like Cal's acted like an owner who is a fan more often than he's acted like his dad. Like, quick to write a check, pay the money, make it go away. He's invested a lot of money in this team in weight room and new dining and this and that. Like, he hasn't stopped at that point. Like, he's got to get the football stuff right. And you just got to hope that he, nor Jack Easterby, medal with Nick Casario, and Casario's got the thing going right. Like, that's the big thing. Like, Casario's going to be the guy that gets all this football stuff right. If Casario picks the wrong players, yeah, that's Cal's fault because he hired Casario, but Casario messes that up. If Casario picks the good players, like, Casario will get the credit. And eventually, if the team's winning, people start coming back, people start buying season tickets and stuff like that. The thing about the money, like, yeah, Cal McNair's not going to see as much money as he has seen in previous years. The TV deals don't let these guys lose money. Like they, they don't lose money because like the TV deals are incredible. So yeah, I understand that there's not as many season ticket holders, and I'm sure when he gets the reports or his financial people get the reports, like yeah, it's tougher to sell tickets. There's less people. There's less hot dogs. There's less beers that you sell. Less pretzels. Less jerseys. Yeah, that he ain't in the red. Like it's still coming. Like the the bottom line's still black. At the end of the day, it ain't in the red. What Chuck, if if Houston did like the New York Giants and offered a free medium Coke, would that get the fans back in? Oh my gosh! <laughs> a medium Coke, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, one of those. Uh, that was their fan. Hard... Of, that was their fan appreciation. Was a free yeah, medium. Yeah, soda. yeah. Well, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that I got that little gift card from last year because of the COVID year. But you know, it'd be nice to get like. A large beer at a small price, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> to to get back to what you were talking about, and I'm not entirely sure that even a head coach change gets fans back into back into the stadium at this point. I think Cody's point is is right on the right on right on point is until the roster gets to where it needs to be, until there's you know, either whether the fans believe in Davis Mills or they get another quarterback in 2023, that's when we start to see the fans start show back up and, and hopefully your buddies will, will join you back at the stadium and you're not having to sit by yourself. So I appreciate it, Chuck. If uh, you got anything else, man. 
that's all I got, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Yes, well, thanks for his. Uh, thank uh, Thank you as always, Chuck, for joining us. Let's see. Here, remove. I don't want to kick you out. All right. So, like I said in the beginning, if you want to ask questions, you know, hit the request button at the bottom left. And we'll get to you if you don't want to speak and you want to send me a question over DM. My DMs are open, so um, feel free to uh, send me a question that way, and we can uh, get in, you know, get into that as well. So another thing, you know, we really don't talk about Deshaun Watson on here too terribly much, but you know, his name kind of popped back up in in the in my timeline today or this week, especially with uh, Florio throwing out there that. 18 of the 22 plaintiffs were ready to settle back at the trade deadline when Miami was looking to get Watson. And, you know, so four is holding out. And then this week we got the report that search warrants were issued on his social media accounts, but that was the, the search warrants were issued back in October, but we just now heard about it, at least from a media standpoint this week, you know, as I'm sure other folks knew about it beforehand, but you know, I just kind of, you know, and then on top of that, you got Mulligetta, you know, out there on the sales pitch with Ryan Clark, you know, expressing some strong confidence in the outcome that's going to that's gonna occur with Watson. And I, I, I just can't really, haven't been able to wrap my head around this whole situation yet. You know, it, I, from what I hear, Watson does not want to get deposed come February. I think he is going to do everything in his power to avoid getting deposed because that's where a lot of embarrassing or things that he doesn't want out there come to light. So I think, yes, he, he feels like he's innocent. Yes, he feels like he can beat this. But I think when push comes to shove and he gets down to the wire, when it comes up to his, de his deposition, I think it's a week or two after the, after the Super Bowl, that's where I think you're really going to start to see some movement with with uh, with the settlements, that's just my guess. I'm not a legal expert by any means. We'll we'll, we'll have to get. I think Michael will be back on here next week. We can dig, you know, get him get his opinion his opinion on it. But you know, I just feel like there's going to be more opportunities for other teams to get involved next year if he can get the get these things settled and get get this moving in the right direction for him and. At that point, you know, the league will probably hand out some type of suspension. And you're getting a player for, you know, eight, ten, eight to ten years. So six or eight game suspension is minuscule in the grand scheme of what you're what you're getting with Deshaun Watson. So anybody who comes at me with the with the potential suspension thing, that to me that just not is a non factor given what you're getting out of Watson for the for the long haul. So, you know, is there any new teams that might come to light? You know, you know, obviously Miami is his top choice. I don't know that he would he would open up the no trade clause for teams like the Giants, Philadelphia. I know we I know he said no to Philly. I know he said no to Carolina, but those are names that are, are still going to be interested in him come 2022. Dave Tepper up in in Carolina is an extremely aggressive owner. You know, if Seattle moves on from Russell Wilson, then maybe that's somebody who's involved. You know, Denver is going to be hot and heavy for another quarterback, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or if they swing back to Watson, you know, and then you got other, other options out there that have uncertain situations at the quarterback position with Pittsburgh and Washington and new Orleans. And, 
you know, I just kind of want to get your thoughts, Cody, on, on that whole situation, what you think comes down, what kind of timelines we're looking at, just any thoughts you might have on it. It doesn't feel like – I mean, they got they got close to settling, a lot of them, around the trade deadline. That's what Florio said. I'm not sure exactly how he knows that. I'm not sure which side would have given him that information where you could trust enough to go with it. But I got to trust Florio that, hey, okay, they had most of them settled. And I would think that from a – because, like, the civil stuff is is tough. You like you mentioned the depositions. Deshaun doesn't want the depositions to happen. Depositions can get nasty and filthy. And I I don't know that the the accusers want the depositions to happen like that. And I understand that. I know that the, the report a couple weeks ago that those things have started. Like, depositions are are, are, are nasty. And I, I, I admire the – process for which lawyers can use depositions to find things out like i understand its usefulness but it it can be a very nasty thing and i don't believe any either side really truly wants to go all the way through that whole process and then rehash a lot of that in front of everybody in a courtroom like i i i I hope this thing gets settled and the accusers can put it behind them the sean watson can put it behind him and then we can worry about the football aspect of the sean watson and then the criminal aspect, that search warrant stuff that came out last week, it didn't seem like like there was some sort of massive criminal component to it. And, and like I'm no legal expert, but I think back to the Ray Rice situation. They had video of Ray Rice doing this thing. Ray Rice was tr- treated like a first-time offender. And I would assume that the way the legal process plays out sometimes – Guys get treated like first-time offenders for some of these things, and sentences are lessened or lightened or adjusted or however you want to phrase it. And so it becomes a, a, a difficult thing to talk about from that standpoint. I do believe that by the time Deshaun Watson's finding a different team, we're not talking about any lawsuits or any criminal situation. As far as the teams, the Russell Wilson situation gets interesting because – Russ is probably going to want a new contract wherever he goes, I would think. Yeah, he's um, only got one year left after this year. So I would think he's going to want a new contract, and don't you think he's going to want to try to you know, go big or go home on that contract? So Deshaun Watson being locked in, and maybe Deshaun wants an adjustment here or there on some sort of his contract, but he's not going to want a new one. You're not going to have to totally break the bank. Like You're going to get a pretty good contract when you end up with Deshaun Watson. So – I think from a contract standpoint, Deshaun's going to be an easier sell than Russell Wilson. From a introducing him and having him be the face of your organization, Russ is going to be an easier sell on that point. That's where I feel like the Giants jump out first. The Giants, I believe, will have absolutely the ammunition to go get Deshaun Watson. Their preference is going to be Russell Wilson, in my opinion. Um Miami seems to clearly prefer Deshaun Watson, but would they change their mind if Russ was interested? Is Russ even interested in Miami? That's a conversation that I think we'll know pretty soon because Russell Wilson's people have been pretty uh, free with the teams that he'd be willing to go yeah, to. It's like once every two months we get an update on what teams he he would like to go sure. to. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Denver's interesting. I don't know if Deshaun would say yes to Denver. 
New Orleans is interesting. I don't know if they'd have the draft capital necessary, but Deshaun would say yes to New Orleans. Um, he would say no to Cleveland if they decided to try to go after him. That'd be that'd be not just a no, but hell no. Um, yeah. Las Vegas is an interesting team too, by the way. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about Las Vegas. You know, I think Carr's only got one year left on his contract, and that's. No you know, guaranteed money, too. Yeah, I mean that would be, and with their cash model, I mean that that would be the easiest, you know, easiest contract to get out from Neath. So, you know, that's I I do think the market has as much to do with the team for Deshaun, you know, and I I'm talking, you know, business ventures, marketing, things like that. So, I think that that has a big that has a big role in it. But you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens. I just kind of, you know, I appreciate your thoughts on it. I was just curious with that, with that Let little me, tidbit hitting I, the news. Yeah, what you got? Can I, can I throw one one weird scenario out there at yeah. you? Yeah, you always good at these. If Shanahan calls you and is offering Trey Lance, would you take it? Trey Lance and then some, obviously. It wouldn't have to just be Trey. It wouldn't be just Trey Lance, but Trey Lance and then some. Mm. That's a tough sell. I just don't know about that kid. That's a tough, tough, tough sell. It's worth it's worth noting, and I heard I heard Todd McShay say this. If mm. you took last year's quarterbacks in the first round and this year's projected first round quarterbacks, all five from last year would be in front of every quarterback from this year. Yeah. So yes. if 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 Kenny Pickett was in last year's draft, he'd be the sixth best quarterback, and he might be the best quarterback in this draft. Yeah. I mean, you have. You'd, I would have to seriously consider it. I mean, I, there you go. That's it's 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 not my favorite kind of questions in this scenario are the ones that you don't immediately answer. Your gut may your you may have a gut answer right away, <laughs> but you can't immediately spurt it out of your mouth. That's my favorite kind of question. Fair enough. Fair enough. And just wanted to clarify one thing when I said earlier that that I think Watson is going to settle before he is posed. I think when I say that, I'm, I mean that Watson's legal team wants him to settle before it gets to deposition. I think Watson is willing to, to push it and really try to prove his innocence. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we're right up at 10 o'clock. Um, we've had some good questions, a couple other little tidbits I wanted to drop out there. So we, we see Casario when he's signing some of these players, whether it's off practice squad or, you know, from another team's practice squad, he's been, you know, he did the Derek Rivers contract, the Jonathan Owens contract had small amounts of, of guaranteed money. And, and I'm talking small, like 50, you know, a hundred thousand. I think Owens got like 10,000, something like that. But Dorsett got a little bit of guaranteed money, you know, Rondell Carter, who they signed today off of Arizona's pack or, Dallas, I can't remember which practice squad they signed him off of, but supposedly he signed a two-year deal. So it's kind of a little unusual, but it's an interesting tactic. So you're starting to see a little more contracts pile up for 2022. As for potential extension uh, candidates, you know, I don't think this has really changed much in the last three or four weeks. I usually ask my guests, you know, is there any specific players that that they would like to see extended? So, Cody, just real quick, you got any names that would – that you'd be down for extending right now for the end of the year? 
Um, not really, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd be fine with a, I don't want to say I'd be fine with roster churn. Cause I feel like we're just getting to know some of these guys. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with almost everybody who's going to be up being up. Yeah. Fair enough. I, think, I guess that, yeah. yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm up for another season of roster churn. <laughs> well, there's going to be a ton of it regardless. I mean, you're, Right now, I think if we add the Carter deal in, I think there's like 29 or 30 contracts on the books for 2022. And we have a pretty strong suspicion that players like Eric Murray, uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, potentially Marcus Cannon, maybe Fairbairn, just due to his contract, despite him, you know, kicking very well the last few games. You know, I think you're going to see the contract – some of those contracts moved. We'll see the the futures contract signed in January after the season's over. So heading into free agency, there's a very real chance that you're only going to have maybe 40 players under contract and to fill out a 90-man roster. So you're going to see a ton of roster churn regardless. You're going to see a lot of activity on the free agency market again, like we saw this year with a lot of, of mid-level contracts and then a lot of draft, a lot of draft activity potentially seeing a, an actual decent size undrafted class this year now that the scouts are able to get back on the road and do a little more work. But some potential extension, extension candidates, some names that I've heard floating out there is Malik Collins. He's interested in coming back, but he wants a pretty strong contract. I'm talking... It's already making what? Already making five mil, right? It's a little close to six. I've heard he's he's wanting like eight or nine. Eight or nine million APY. All right. Well, well, we'll start with we'll start with nine, and then we'll take off an extra mil for every personal foul penalty <laughs> that costs the Texans points, and then we can we can come to an agreement there. Yeah, fair enough. Another one is uh is Kamu Grushe Hill. He's very interested in coming back. I think he's going to play a hardball though, and uh, two a lot other of leverage he's got with a messed up leg. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we always see these players come back from ACLs or what, whatever his injury actually ends up being. But I think I, I do think there is some some uh, some common interest there between both sides to get that deal done. The other two, the Demarcus Walker, the team is from what I hear is kind of interested in bringing him back. You know, and that's that's a good rotational player on the on the uh, defensive line. He's on the injured reserve right now, or COVID reserve, whichever one you want to talk about. But the other the other fourth one which was a little surprising to me was uh, AJ Moore and he's playing on the, the RFA tender this year, I think at 2.13 million. So I can't see the contract being much stronger. It can't be higher than that. It's gotta be something like a Tremont Smith deal. So those are the four players. I think the team is kind of sniffing around when it comes to extensions. I really don't think they're looking at anybody else and players like Justin Reed. I think they're gone. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think that's really about all I had. Jeff Driscoll going probably going to IR. Apparently, he broke his collarbone, and uh, in the salary, kind of what happens yeah. when you have a quarterback that's playing a different position. <laughs> playing well, he's playing special teams. He is doing. Uh, what was the quarter? Who was the quarterback that we had that Houston had that uh, played wide receiver? Oh, Webb, Joe Webb. Joe Webb. Let's see, there you go. Driscoll trying to be like Joe Webb making tackles out there. 
And uh, the last tidbit I had on here was salary cap. The ceiling for 2022 is easily going to be met at $208.2 million for next year. So that will be the league cap. I'm 99% confident that's going to be the number. The league would... The number would have been higher, but they had to set a ceiling because the league does not like huge jumps in salary caps, so they just kind of want to want to stagger it going forward. So that'll be more very likely the number for 2022. Texans will probably end up rolling over three and a half, four and a half million when it's all said and done over to next year, and then I'll you know in February or so I'll probably try to get out the a potential projection on the annual adjustment, but with Nick Casario wanting to use incentives on all his contracts now, it's just making my life just that much <laughs> more fun. I mean, he already uses per game roster bonuses on every contract, which is a pain. And now I got to do incentives. I liked it when Rick Smith, he did, it was his contract, him and Olsen's contracts were so simple. It was so nice, so easy. And now I've got to do all this extra work. So, you know, a lot of fun. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to all the adjustments and all the all the math work I got to do in my Excel spreadsheet. So, hey, are are they gonna are they gonna lead the league in dead money? Yes, I'm I'm confident are, in that because they're they're already at 35, and if they trade Watson, that's another 16-2. So that's gonna that's at that puts them at 51. If they trade Tunsil, that's gonna put them at over 65. And then if they release. What? A few other players, I, I could easily see them topping seventy-five million in dead money next year. Do you, what's? Do, I mean, you may know if something was. Is there a record? Who had the most? Like, I know the Cowboys had a gazillion dollars like a few years ago. But like, do you do you know the dead I, money? I don't know off the top of my head. I know Oakland or Vegas at the time when Reggie McKenzie came in and just just cleaned house. They were upwards around sixty or seventy. I, I'll have to go look. I'll have to go look. That's that's my assignment for the for this week. I'll have to go look okay. and, and find out, and I'll tweet it out, and I'll tag you on it, Cody, to answer the question of yes. what's the worst dead money. But, yes, there's a very real chance that the Texans are going to do, dead money-wise, probably what they should have done in 2021. So, you know. Nice. Are you uh, you going to the game gotta this be, weekend? Got to be the best at something. Yeah, there you go, number I, one. I, I, yeah. Got to be best at something, yeah. Uh, I will not be making it to the game this weekend, but uh, I'll be with my usual coverage on sportsmap.com and ESPN 97.5. Dang it. So this is my first time I get to go actual sit up in the press box. I'm really excited. Omar's going to let me come. So, well, there you go. I know. So, I, you know, I'm – Got, I ordered my mini binoculars, and you know I'm ready to go. So if there's any <laughs> other tips that, that that I need to know about, then let me know. So I'll be, yeah, well, be live tweeting like a madman. I'll, I'll put together a tip sheet for you. There you go, outstanding. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate the time, Cody. This was a, a fantastic night. Um, I did get one other DM. There was a question about um, a question about. Uh, <laughs> Chuck is killing me. So it was a question about uh, value on on Tunsil, and I'm sorry I didn't get to it quickly enough, but we talked about it earlier. So, yeah, high two, maybe a future late one, but probably like a high two and like a a swap of a day three pick. So hopefully that answers the the Tunsil question. And, uh, you know, with that, it was a great one, Cody. I appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for joining me and gracing us with your presence, sir. Man, anytime. I really appreciate you do this. Always have fun. Even when I'm not the guest speaker, I like to listen. 
All right. Well, with that, we will call it a night. Thank you, everybody, for joining and listening in. Thank you for Chuck and everybody else who had their questions. So we will call this a night on cap and trade. I will get this episode up on the podcast run with uh, Apple and Spotify probably by tomorrow night. So with that, we will call it a night. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.